I'm a weird dude, okay? Let me tell you, I'm just, I'm real weird about stuff. When I get up here on Sunday mornings, I always have to adjust my pulpit and get it right in the center of the sanctuary because that's just the way I am. I I, got to have things centered. I I have to have things in order. But today I'm moving it over just a little bit this way. I hope it doesn't mess me up too bad. You might say, well, Brother Will, why why would you even risk it for a biscuit, man? Why why would you move it over if you think it's going to mess you up? Well, it's something that happened yesterday or last Sunday during the live stream. Uh, We live streamed and it goes to thousands and thousands of people who, who watch it live stream. I don't, I don't know. But there are people who do watch it. And somebody was watching it and they, they took a snapshot of what they were seeing live stream and they sent it back to our church. And what it was is me standing here preaching and they saw the sign behind me. They could see the W-E, the we. They could not see the B or the E or the V and the E. All they saw was me with a sign that says, we lie. (laughs) No, we don't, all right? Nor am I lying to you today. I want to tell you the truth, okay, because I love you. It's important that we know the truth. It's important that we speak the truth. It is important that we believe the truth because we are going to behave like we believe. That's why we have this series going, We Believe. This Sunday, I'm in my fourth sermon on the series, We Believe, and today, it's all about the Holy Spirit, right? We believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit either the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, or it even refers to Him as the Holy Ghost. But let me tell you, He is not a ghost, So when you think of the Holy Spirit, don't think of Casper, the friendly ghost. No, he is a person. He is the third member of the Holy Trinity. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has a specific function that he plays in the world, in the church, and in your life. And today as we study the Holy Spirit, we're going to learn all about that. I'm going to make a statement of what I believe, and it's what our church believes about the Holy Spirit. Here at Kavanaugh, we believe the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of their sin, to regenerate the believing sinner, to indwell, guide, instruct, and empower the believer for godly living and for Christian service. And dear Lord, as I preach on the Holy Spirit today, I pray that you would anoint us with the Holy Spirit. And I pray the Holy Spirit would have freedom in this room. And I pray, dear Lord, that as I try to speak on the outside, your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Change us, challenge us, make us into the people you've called us to be. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm going to take that statement of what we believe about the Holy Spirit and break it down, and that's going to be our outline for this morning. Two statements I'll make about the Holy Spirit. The first one is this. We believe the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of their sin. Okay? This is one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit, and it's what Jesus told his disciples the Holy Spirit would come to do before he was crucified. John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. And let me do a quick time out and and speak about that word, the helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. 
He's saying, if I don't go, the helper won't come and help you out. In some translations, that word is translated counselor or comforter. Here in the New King James, it's translated helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, I'm going to send you someone to help you do life. Now, I don't know about you, but I need a helper. I do need a helper because life is difficult and it's tough and it's hard to make the right choices. It's hard just to do life. So I need a divine helper. And God said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who's going to help you. Right? The cool thing about it is the Greek word that is used there that's translated helper, it actually means someone to come alongside you. To come alongside you and do life. Specifically, it described a soldier in battle. Now, if a soldier is in battle, he's fighting from the front side, but his backside is the blind side. He's open to attack in the back because he can't see back there. The word helper describes another soldier who comes alongside that soldier and takes his backside. So they're fighting literally back to back. That's a pretty cool concept, isn't it? Because you're a lot more focused when all you have to worry about is what's happening in front of you, right? You know somebody's got your backside. God is saying that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He's going to be your helper. He's going to come and get your back. But he's also got your right, he's got your left, and he's got what's in front of you as well. What a great concept. Jesus said, I have to go back to heaven so I can send the helper to you. And when he has come, Jesus said, he will, and this is what he does, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. That's the function of the Holy Spirit. He convicts people of their sin. Now, this is important because we cannot repent of our sin until we become aware of the fact that we are sinners and that we need to repent. God desires for you to have his grace and forgiveness. I love that song that Jeff just sang, don't you? His great grace. I'm breathing in his grace. I'm breathing out his praise. That's what God has for you, grace and forgiveness. That's why Jesus died on the cross. But to be forgiven, we've got to recognize, first of all, that we've fallen short. That we've missed God's mark. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes into play. He is here to convict us and tell us where we've sinned and what we've done that is wrong. He does that both to the sinner, but he also does it to the saint. I'll talk about that in a moment, all right? Now, the conviction of the Spirit often works through our moral conscience. We see this in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says that even people who don't know God's law still have a sense of right and wrong that is written into their conscience. All of us in this room, every mortal man that has ever been born has a moral conscience because we have been created in the image of God. And God has given us this conscience. That's why every society in history has defined rules for behavior. For example, almost no society considers murder acceptable. Almost every society protects children. And they have different rules governing sexual activity. So, one ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of sin 
by making them aware that they've done wrong and working through their conscience. Nobody has to tell you when you've done wrong. You know it. You know it on the inside. Even people who have never heard about God or God's Word, they know when they've done wrong. Why? Because God imparted that into us. He made us that way. You might say, well, why is our world so crazy? Why has America gone downhill so fast? The Bible talks about our conscience or our hearts being seared with a hot iron. So let me tell you, a society can sin so much and get so far away from God and their hearts become so hard that they go past this moral conscience aspect. They've seared their conscience. Their conscience is no longer working. And my friends, that's what's happening in America today. We've lost the center. We've lost our compass. Therefore, you, the church, you as a believer, you must be the moral conscience of our society. Okay? God has made all of us with a moral conscience. That conscience has a sharpening sense of conviction when it is coupled with the Word of God, the Bible. Apart from the Bible, people only have a vague sense of their sin. But Scripture articulates God's standards and His clarity so that we know exactly how far we have fallen short of God's standard. It's what the Word of God does. The Apostle Paul describes this in Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul was a model Jew. He was zealous to please God. In fact, Paul was doing everything possible, everything he could humanly do to, to obey the Old Testament law. But the more Paul tried to do right and to be good, the more Paul realized how short he kept falling to God's standard. Because let me tell you, church, you can never be good enough to earn God's favor. You can never do enough good things to get into heaven on your own. So this is what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 11. He said, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandments, by the Old Testament, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. Paul was deceived because instead of finding life through his obedience to the law, he came to realize he could never meet God's perfect standard. This left him under a death sentence because the punishment for sin is always death. We see from this that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is sharpened once the Word of God has been introduced. And that is why it is so important for us as a church, but also for you as an individual Christian, to talk about the standards that are in God's Word. The world needs to know the truth. We need to know what sin is so that we can repent of our sins. People won't grasp the good news of God's forgiveness until they realize the bad news of their own sin. Does that make sense? Right when I first started preaching, an old pre preacher gave me some advice. He says, Pre we'll preach the gospel. You need to tell people that they're dirty, rotten, no good for nothing sinners because they don't know they are. You've got to convince them that they're sinners before they can accept God's grace and be forgiven. That sounds a little old-fashioned, doesn't it? But it's the truth. Okay? 
That's what the Holy Spirit does when the Word of God is preached. It convicts us of our sin. That's why sometimes you come in there to this room and, and you, you get to feeling uncomfortable. Like you're feeling right now. And you're thinking, okay, just move on, preacher. <laughs> leave this alone. Go to the next point. No, we don't need to leave it alone. Because the Holy Spirit not only convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, one of his functions and jobs is to convict you as a believer when you've gotten off course, when you've messed up, when you've allowed sin into your life, when you've allowed something or someone else to come between you and your relationship with God. He's going to convict you of it. He, he might be doing that right now. Well, don't turn it off, man. Understand, he's doing it because he loves you. He's doing it because he wants you to enter back into full fellowship with God the Father. And so if the Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning, you, you need to repent. You need to come clean. That's his job, to convict you. Second statement I make is this. We believe the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to regenerate the believing sinner. To regenerate means to bring to life. And the Bible is very clear that until we have faith in Christ, we are spiritually dead. I don't know any other way to say that. Without Christ, you are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1 affirms, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The sin we were born with and the sin that we commit as fallen human beings severs our relationship with God the Father, and it condemns us to death. So apart from faith in Christ, people are spiritually dead. They're spiritually dead. I could have two people on the stage this morning, both of them alive, both of them breathing, their hearts are pumping blood, their muscles are working, their eyes are blinking. They are alive. You can see that. They're living. They're alive. But one of those persons could be spiritually dead and the other could be spiritually alive and maybe just by looking at them standing there you couldn't tell which is who but when they open their mouth and start talking then the truth is revealed okay one one of the ways the the holy spirit shows us and tells us that people are spiritually alive or, or spiritually deaf is through the discernment of spiritual truth. Do we understand the truth of God and can we speak the truth of God? 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age. Church, that's the devil. Are you with me? Are you Wait. I'm a little concerned. I was talking to Angie this past week that this, this doctrinal series, I know doctrine can be tough. Theology is a difficult subject to wrap your mind around. This is not feel-good preaching, okay? I'm not trying to make you feel good. I'm trying to speak the truth to you. And I, I can understand sometimes the truth is a little overbearing. Sometimes the truth is, is hard to handle. It's hard to accept. It's hard to sit there and listen when I'm talking doctrine to you. But it's the truth, Okay? And we need the truth. 
We, we need to hear the truth. And this is a great passage about the truth and how it works in our life. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age, that is the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the very image of God himself. You see, church, until the seed of spiritual life is planted in the human soul through faith in Christ, people are spiritually blind. They're not only spiritually dead without Christ, they are spiritually blind. They cannot see many things that are obvious to us as followers of Jesus. They don't see the world as God sees the world. They see the world like the devil sees the world. Because the devil has blinded their eyes. This is one reason arguing with a non-Christian about the things of faith is not very productive. I'm telling you, it's not. Until, until God opens their eyes, they, they can't see it. They can't, they can't understand it. And as a result, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness. To him, And he cannot understand them because they can only be discerned spiritually. That's why the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is so essential. Because the Spirit brings life. The Spirit opens our eyes so that we understand the things of God. Back in John chapter 3, Jesus was in a conversation with Nicodemus. He said this in verse 3. I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I mean, that's, that's it. To get to heaven, you've got to be born again. For your sins to be forgiven, you've got to be born again. To be a Christian, you must be born again. Bottom line, that's all there is to it. He goes on in verse 5 to say to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. And Nicodemus couldn't comprehend this. He says, I, I don't understand. How, how can a person be born two times? Jesus said, well, you're born the first time through your mother's womb. That's through water. You're born the second time through the Spirit. That's a big S. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And we must be born again. Once we place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit implants this new life in our soul. And we're born again. And when that happens... Our eyes are open to a whole new set of realities. Things that we used to be blind about suddenly become clear to us. And we understand the Word of God. Now, I could try to explain this to you in a bunch of different ways through a lot of stories that, that I've personally seen. Let me, let me just give you one real quick one. When I was in Plano, it was a, it was a new church. It had only been... Uh, uh, birthed a few years before I came there. And so there are a lot of baby Christians. And while we were there, we saw a lot of people being saved week after week. There was a young man who came to our church who, when he was a teenager, attended church with some relatives. And then when he came to our church, he got saved. And this guy was transformed radically. I mean, everything about his life changed. But just one illustration. He, he talked to me one day about tithing. Because I preached this sermon series on tithing and, and how you're supposed to give God. He said, you know, preacher, I can remember when I was a teenager going to that church. Tithing seemed so foolish to me. 
The preacher would ask the, the people to, to give 10% to God, and he would say stuff like, you give the 10%, and God's going to let you keep the 90%, and I guarantee you that 90% is going to go further than the 100% if you would have kept the 10%, you know? And he said, that just didn't make sense to me. He was a mathematician. <laughs> it doesn't add up. And he used this word. He said, to me it was foolishness. Then he said, I got saved. Jesus came into my heart. And I took his word by faith and I started tithing. He said, it's amazing. I, he said, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But my eyes have been opened to the things of God. And I'm telling you, that's just one little illustration, but, but it's so true. The things of God don't make sense to the world. Until you know it and experience it and flesh it out, it won't make sense to you. But that's what the Holy Spirit does, though. He opens our mind and our eyes so that we can see the good things of God. I love the way it's put in the great hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. Yeah. Thus the Holy Spirit regenerates or he brings to life the believing sinner. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of our sin and then he brings life into our life. Now after we've been born again, the Spirit takes on a new role. And I'm going to throw four things out to you. This is what the Holy Spirit does in your life if you're a Christian. Number one, he indwells the believer. He lives inside of us. When we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit enters our life in a new way. And the Apostle Paul describes it like this in Ephesians chapter 1. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. That's, that's pretty awesome. So when we embrace Christ by faith, we automatically receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And church, you don't just get part of the Spirit of God when you're saved. You get all the Spirit of God when you're saved. He moves into your life. It's the Spirit who begins to whisper into our heart that we have been adopted into the family of God. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's where the assurance of our salvation comes from. The Spirit speaks to our hearts and lets us know that God loves us and He's our Father and He cares for us and we're His children. That, that's why, the, the, that's why what is so important about understanding the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, you get the Spirit. I was six years old when I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. Sunday night, Westside Free Will Baptist Church, Midland, Texas. My pastor, E.E. E. Zellers, was preaching on hell. I mean, he was preaching a thunderous sermon about hell. It was like he had been there. Yeah? He knew all about it. And I'm telling you, he was scaring it out of me. Let me tell you. It's almost like he lifted the lid to hell, let a little hell flow into that sanctuary. Man, I mean, it was hot in there that night. And I got convicted. I was only six years old, but let me tell you, I knew enough about the gospel to know if I died in my sins, I would split hell wide open. 
So when the invitation was given, I ran down to the altar. Brother Zellers came around there, and he started praying with me. He said, William, what can I pray with you about? And this is what I said to him, no lie. I said, I don't want to go there, Brother Zellers. I don't want to go to hell. He said, I think we can take care of that. Opened up his Bible to the book of Romans and led me through the Romans road to salvation. And that night I received Jesus as my Savior. I was born again, and I got the Spirit of God. I got the Holy Spirit. And he's lived inside of me ever since. Do you have the Spirit of God? Number two, the Holy Spirit guides the believer. Romans 8, 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit guides us as we journey through life. And and I could tell you hundreds of stories of how he's done it in my own life. But let me just use a story from the book of Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul and some fellow preachers were going around spreading the good news of the gospel. They were preaching. They were in what we now call Turkey. And they, they decided to go in one particular direction, but the Holy Spirit of God wouldn't let them do it. In fact, the Bible says they were kept from going that way by the Spirit of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit closed the door. And so they turned and were going in another direction, headed a different way. But the Bible also specifically says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go that way. And so they just backed up and they prayed about it again. And so they went through the third door and they struck gold. (laughs) Because this time the Holy Spirit opened the door, and they went to Macedonia. And the first time, for the first time, the gospel was preached in Europe. Now, that is an example of how the Holy Spirit guides Christians. In in the process of guiding us, I believe the Holy Spirit generally uses four signposts to guide us. The number one question I am asked by people is, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know if I should go here or go there, take this job or that job? How do I know if this is the person I should marry? How how do I know God's will? Well, I think the Holy Spirit, who guides us, uses four different guideposts in leading us to do God's will. Very quickly, they are the Bible, the advice from spiritually mature believers, number three, circumstances, and then number four, a sense of inner conviction. The number one way the Holy Spirit leads us is through the Bible. Most of what God wants us to know is revealed in Scripture. Church, this is your manual for life, the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit will never lead you to do anything that contradicts the Bible. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to do anything that contradicts the Bible. I was in a conversation with a person not long ago, not of this church. They came to me for counseling, and, and uh, they, were, they, were in the, they were in the beginning stages of, of an affair. They were committing adultery against their spouse with another person. And here are their words, and I've heard this hundreds of times. It just feels so right. I mean, I don't, I don't love my spouse anymore, and I have great love for this other person. And, and it, it's like they're my soulmate, and it just feels so right. People usually only come to me one time for counseling because I just, I just kind of cut to the chase, and I said, well, you're believing a lie. You're believing a lie because I'm, the Holy Spirit would never lead you and guide you into committing adultery 
and sinning against your spouse and God. So that feeling you have is not of God. It contradicts the word of God. Okay? So it's really important that we understand the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do anything that contradicts God's word. Number two, the Holy Spirit also speaks through spiritually mature people. You need to find someone in your life that is willing to speak the truth to you. Now, usually what we do for going for advice, we find people who agree with us and who will tell us what we want them to tell us. You don't need to be looking for those people. Nor do you need to seek counsel from people who, who have an agenda or want to control or manipulate you. You need to find godly, wise people who are living a godly life themselves. Don't, don't go and seek advice from somebody whose life is more messed up than yours. <laughs> okay? Find somebody who's got it together, who has a track record of living for God, who is doing the right thing, and go to that person and seek their advice. I have a handful of people who are godly and wise across the country, and when I have to make a big decision, I will go and seek their advice. You need people in your life just like that who will speak the truth to you. Another signpost, number three, is circumstances. Just like God did in Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit will either open doors or close doors to point us in the direction that God wants us to go. Now, granted, we've got to be careful in this because sometimes we can fool ourselves. Because most of us only see what we want to see. And we don't see what we don't want to see. So if we're not careful, we can read into circumstances what we want to see. And when that happens, we get all twisted up and we'll make the wrong decision. One more signpost that the Holy Spirit uses is a, a sense of inner conviction. Really, this is the least reliable of the four because our feelings can be fickle. Our feelings can be up and down like a roller coaster. But we would be foolish to make a decision to move in any direction if there is a sense of restlessness or agitation there. I mean, you've got to have peace. And if there's not peace, you need to back off, man. Keep praying. Keep seeking God's face. The peace will always come. So the Holy Spirit uses these four primary signposts. The Bible spiritually mature people, circumstances, and a sense of inner conviction. All four. Look at this. Look at this. When all four of these line up and are in agreement, I can guarantee you, God is leading you. Okay? The Holy Spirit is guiding you and directing you. And you know what? You need to stop just sitting there thinking about it and pray about it. You need to get up and do it. When the Holy Spirit guides you and opens a door, you need to walk through that door. Number three, the Holy Spirit instructs the believer. That is, he teaches us. John 14, 15. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will remind you or bring to your remembrance everything that I have said to you. A couple of chapters over, John chapter 16. Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can Bear now, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. These passages show the important role that the Holy Spirit has in instructing us in God's 
truth. And this instruction comes primarily through the Spirit's enablement for us to read and understand the Word of God. Remember, before you're saved, you're blinded to the truth. After you're saved, the Holy Spirit drops those scales from your eyes. You read it and you understand it because He's speaking it back into your heart. Now, now church, our Bible is complete. Everything that God wants us to have in printed form is here. We have the revelation of God's plan of salvation. And so the Holy Spirit speaks this word back into our hearts. But for that to happen, we've got to apply ourselves. Now, I don't mean to be just super simplistic, but this is pretty simple. If you want to be, you know... A giant in the faith. If you want to get close to Jesus, if you want to be the best Christian you can be, if you want to be a model parent to your kids, if you want to be one of these mature believers that people go to and seek wise advice and counsel from, if you just want to grow up in Jesus, you've got to apply yourself. It doesn't just magically happen. You've got to open the Word of God and read it. You've got to study it. You've got to apply yourself. There, it, it comes down to hard work and dedication, man. Really, it does. Hard work and dedication. Every day, you're opening the Word of God. Every day, you're reading the Bible. Now, I told the first service, I'm, I'm going to get a little old-fashioned here. Is that okay? Can I be old-fashioned? I want to say something. You're going to say, oh, man, he's being an old fuddy-dud. Go ahead and call me old fuddy-dud. Come on. Okay, well, I'll meet you in the parking lot here in just a second. We'll talk about it. Let me be an old fuddy-dud here for a second. When I was both in Bible college and seminary, I would have professors say to the class and to me, if you're going to spend an hour watching TV, you need to duplicate that and spend at least an hour reading God's Word. If you're going to spend an hour reading the newspaper or different magazines, you need to duplicate that and spend at least an hour Reading God's Word. I had one professor say, you need to double it. For every hour you have in the world, you need two hours with God. Now guys, listen to me. That's not just for preachers. That's for believers. It just makes sense. If you're watching TV, guess what you're getting? You're allowing into your living room, into your mind, into your heart, the world's philosophy. Can I tell you something? I'm really sounding old fuddy-duddy right There ain't nothing but a bunch of trash. In most TV programs these days. I, I, tell you, I only watch sporting events, but during the commercials, we usually have to mute it or pause it because you don't get nothing but the world's trash right into your living room. Things that my daddy would not allow in our house back as a kid growing up, we allow in our houses every day when we turn on the TV. And you're allowing that stuff into your brain, into your heart, and it is affecting you. Even as a believer, it is searing your conscience. You don't believe me? Just open your eyes and look around in this world. We have allowed a minority of people who are godless in their philosophy and lifestyle to dominate the political system in our world today. And you know what? We're saying, can't do anything about it. It's no big deal. It's not my problem. Yes, it is a big deal. And yes, it is your problem. 
So do yourself a favor. And I know, man, I know I'm sounding old-fashioned, but do yourself a favor. Just turn off the TV and open the book. Lay aside the magazine and open the book. Turn off the computer <laughs> and open the book. The only way the Holy Spirit of God is going to guide you and teach you is if you open the book and read it. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit, that is, by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What this verse is telling us, it's assuring us that God has prepared amazing things for those who love him. Things more wonderful than we could ever imagine or conceive. And God will reveal those things to you through your spirit and in your spirit by his Holy Spirit. But we've got to have time for him. Amen. So open the book. Let him teach you. Let him guide you. I'll get off this in just a second, really. I don't mean to break the camel's back right now. But let me t can I just be... I'm already in trouble. Let me just go all the way. I've, I've gone out on the branch. I'm cutting it off right now. If the only spiritual instruction you're getting and the only word that you're hearing from God is in this service on Sunday morning, you are a malnourished Christian. Now, I try to speak the truth to you. And, I, man, I tell you, I want to finish empty. <laughs> I give the 9 o'clock people all I got. I got 30 minutes to recoup. I come in here and I give you all I got. I'm doing the best I can, but this is not enough. This is not good enough. You need more than this. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you one-on-one. -on -one. So open the Word. Read the Word. Number four, and I'm finished, the Holy Spirit empowers the believer. Try to live the Christian life apart from the Spirit's power. It's kind of like driving a car without any gas in it. <laughs> ha, 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 laugh, people. You're not going to get very far. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the fulfillment of this promise happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples and the New Testament church was born. From that point on, the book of Acts records the history of people who were radically transformed by faith in Jesus Christ and empowered by God's Holy Spirit to turn their world upside down. And God's Spirit empowered them to do that. To live a life filled with love and courage and generosity. Now, let me talk just for a second about this empowering of the Holy Spirit. One aspect of the Spirit's empowerment comes in the form of spiritual gifts. Every Christian, every believer is given at least one spiritual gift to be used in the ministry of the local church. Spiritual gifts empower us to serve and honor God and advance His kingdom. The Bible says this about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit gives them to each one just as he determines. This means it's the Holy Spirit who dishes out spiritual gifts to believers. And he is the one who determines what gift or multiple gifts you receive. 1 Corinthians 12 goes on to use the metaphor of the human body to illustrate God's plan for us to have different gifts but all work together. He, he says in that passage, the hand can't say to the foot, because you're not the hand, I don't need you. Because let me tell you, in my body, my hand needs my foot. And my eyes need my ears. And my heart needs my liver. <laughs> okay, And we could go on and on through the body. You know, Both are needed. You, you need every part you got. And so does the church. The body needs every part. Everyone has a different gift, but you're all needed. No matter what your gift is. Chapter 12 ends with a series of rhetorical questions. The answer to these questions is obviously no. Because he asked, are all of you apostles? Are all of you prophets? Are all of you teachers? Do you all work miracles? Do you all have the gift of healing? Do you all speak in tongues? Do you all interpret? And the answer obviously is no. We all have different gifts. And that's the point. So, listen to me. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you have to have such and such a gift to be truly spiritual. Because you don't. The Holy Spirit is the one who determines which gifts we get. And each of us are empowered in different ways. We're not all the same. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about. You're needed. I'm, I'm about to move on, but let me just say this. If you're sitting right there and you've got a spiritual gift and you ain't using your spiritual gift, you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting everybody else in this church. So quit sitting on it. Use it. Use it to get close to God. Use it for the purpose of God. Use it so this church can grow. So one way the Spirit empowers Christ's followers is through spiritual gifts. Another way is by producing fruit in our life. The Holy Spirit transforms our character so we become more and more like Jesus. And from my perspective, I think this is one of the most important roles that the Holy Spirit does in my life as a believer. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in your life are these nine things. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So these are the qualities the Holy Spirit is producing in your life. And the more we say yes to the Spirit's control, and the more we say no to fleshly behaviors, the more of this fruit is produced in our life. And we become like Him. Now, I'm about to shut up, so listen to this. The key for all this to happen, the key for everything I've talked about this morning to happen in your life is found in Ephesians 5.18. And Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. 
Be filled with the Spirit. Say that with me, everybody, right now. Say it. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, that verb filled with is not a promise to claim. It is a commandment to obey. God is commanding us. You be filled with the Spirit. It's not optional. All of us as believers are to do this. To be filled with the Spirit is not something that happens to us as if God mysteriously takes control of our lives. Because if you are a Christian, you've already got the Holy Spirit in your life. We've talked about that. And if you have the Spirit, you've got all the Spirit. You can't get any more of Him. So when it's saying be filled with the Spirit, it's not saying you need to get more of the Spirit. No, you've got all the Spirit. What it's saying is this, you can't get more of the Spirit, but the Spirit can get more of you. And that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's the point. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to allow God to control all of our lives, all day, every day. It's as if you get out of the driver's seat and into the passenger seat and you let the Holy Spirit have control of the steering wheel of your life. Be filled with the Spirit. And church, this is what God wants for us. To be filled with the Spirit. Friends, I don't know of a better way to live than this way. Be filled with the Spirit. Are you? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts right now as only you can. And I pray that we would be filled with the Spirit. Lord, for that person who is here who needs to be saved, may they come right now and receive your gift of salvation. Lord, for the Christian who is away from you, may they come home today. And as the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of our waywardness, just like he did the prodigal son, may we come back to the Father today. Lord, for the rest of us, may we just come to the altar and be filled with the Spirit of God today. May we give the Holy Spirit all of our life, all of our family, all of our troubles, all of our future, all of our confusion. May we just turn it over to the Spirit. Fill this room and fill our lives. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Would you stand?